Good to see you guys today. I uh, missed you guys last week as my family went to Indiana to support Apollos in his national soccer tournament. Um, we had a good time. Um, they took second place in the bronze division. So, but more than anything, it was just good to see a uh, community of faith engaging in a good game um, with godly and spiritual attitude. So that's where we were last week. I want to thank you, thank Matt McGinnis for preaching. Heard things went well. A lot of you guys were here just being blessed and encouraged on, we'll call it the Lord's Day. Also, the day, Sunday, where I also consider Jared's Day of the Week, where a lot of people gather to celebrate, to worship, to simulate one another, to love and good deeds. And so... Um, next week, um, a good friend of mine, a guy that I've known for 28 years, his name is Steve Wong. He'll be coming from California and preaching and just sharing God's word um, with us from Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, the key words, Trace, I can use one of those too, please. Um, the, key words for the, the key words for the kids today if you have your paper and you're tallying, is the word reflect and the word enemies. So go ahead and tally those words up. I'll probably say reflect and enemies uh, a number of times today. Um, you guys should be getting a, a brochure that looks like this. This will be um, included in today's message. <laughs> so <clears throat> they'll help you uh, track along and follow along this morning. Today's message is entitled Gospel Center Responses to Evil and enemies. Let me pray and we'll dig into God's word together. Father, I thank you so much that we can look to you as things are constantly changing. You are the constant. Um, you are the redeemer in the midst of the messiness we face in this world. And it's so good that you give an answer um, to us when our relationships and church seem to be messy, or even our nation seems to be messy. You give us an answer on how to respond and handle difficult situations relationally. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you open our eyes, Lord, that you would help us to take heed to, to your word from Romans chapter 12 this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I understand that Matthew preached on Romans 13, 1 through 7 last week, but I actually never finished the end of Romans the two weeks before that. So I'm trying to catch up and then we'll go ahead and hit Romans chapter 13 verses eight and following next week, or actually after my friend Steve preaches. Anyways, so that's just where we are at Romans 12 at the ending part. Today we live and are living in unprecedented times. Um, there's so much unrest. There's so much tension and you just kind of just feel it constantly buzzing uh, buzzing in your ears or on your nerves. Um, I've lived nearly a half a century minus 34 months. So now you know my age. All right, I'm almost 50 minus two years and 10 months or so. Um, but I can't remember a time in my entire life that I've experienced this type of political tension, this kind of kind of oppression that we we are facing today. And even in the church, I feel like morally we're, we're a little bit out of whack. I feel like we're in the spiritual funk these days um, where people are struggling spiritually. And I don't even know if the church is even aware of how, 
how much we're struggling these days because um, we're facing isolation because our mind wanders and thinks about all these things um, when we're alone and not engaging with God's community and truth. So I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried um, going to like amusement park or a place where you can play bumper cars. Have you ever tried bumper cars before? All right. Bumper cars are a lot of fun. Um, it's a nice game, a nice exercise where you just drive. You don't think about rules. You don't think about stopping or even being kind to the drivers. You just, what? Just bumping other cars. And you try to, if you're savvy enough, you try to hit people when they're blindsided or try to hit them dead on or when they're stopped, hit them in the back um, so they don't know what hit them. And so... Um, I feel like these days we're actually playing kind of this relational, spiritual bumper cars with each other where we're literally not even thinking about relational rules or how, we're, how we are to conduct ourselves as much as God would have us to. We're just kind of crashing into each other. So we're getting hit or getting bumped or getting slammed or getting knocked in what I'll call conflict collisions. So we're having conflict collisions. And we're, it comes about in so many ways. And I'll just list some of them that I've experienced in the recent weeks and months. Um, last, uh, about three or four weeks ago, I made a trip up to Virginia and we're coming back down Charlottesville. And I, and I read a sign that was handwritten, but I've never read a sign like this. It literally said, if you are Chinese, go back to China. I'm like, whoa, that's so nice. I, I've never experienced that before. Like, go back to China. I understand what they're trying to say. A virus came from China. Yes, every Chinese broad brush, and you must go back to China, whatever. So as, as I've never experienced that. But I understand signs are like this, directed in different ways to different type of people, and it can be offensive. Um, <clears throat> I understand there's an election coming up. It's literally in two days, even though I heard over 90 million people have already voted. More people have voted before the election this year than any other time. And it's, a, it's an interesting situation. Both candidates are given their all. I would say both candidates uh, want to be presidents. Both candidates, I feel, lack degrees of character. Also, both of them have a bad sex history. And both of them stand on two different sides of political parties. And there's a, a tension that comes along with it because if you vote for A, the B side will be very upset. And if you vote for B, the A side will be very upset. And there's a good chance, I'm not a prophet, but I have a, I have a feeling no matter what happens, people are gonna be angry. We're not gonna be the United States of America. We're gonna be the divided states of America. And they'll probably take it out on other people and we'll probably have more looting and riots once again. Um, I don't know if any of you has watched the debates lately. They're not really, the first debate was terrible. They're really not following the rules of debate. It's clearly they looked at their opponent as the adversary and of their opponent. And there's a lot of angst, if not anger, behind the words that were being shared in the debates that we saw recently. I was watching the news, I think yesterday morning, and there's a poll that, were that, that, that was open. And at the polls, there are people literally standing there with guns. I'm not talking about people with security with guns. I, there are people threatening other people to vote a certain way, or I'm going to threaten you and potentially shoot you. Yes, 
these are the days we live in where people say, this is my right to guns and this is my right to freedom. And some ways it just feels like they're in conflict with each other. I'm sure in our homes, in our church, in our work, school, and city, we are experiencing more stress and pressure and tension than we ever had in different phases. And I think behind all this, I believe Satan is at work. He wants to cause us to be impatient, unloving, unkind, and he wants us to turn in, <clears throat> from Jesus and also turn against each other and fight and, and, <clears throat> and be upset with each other. And so this is what, what it looks like today. Uh, when it comes to mask and social distancing, this is some of the most interesting things I've ever seen where, where people fuss or are upset if what kind of mask? Is it a medical mask? What, who made your mask? How you're wearing your mask? Um, and there's, there's tensions that come along um, with that too. And so we have like mask wars and social distance war. Are you six feet? I, I saw this comic literally of a guy who had this hat and a six feet like straws or poles that went around his hat to make sure everyone around him was six feet away to, to clarify and demark their spaces. And so we have a lot going on and where we're talking about behind people's back, oh, they're not wearing a mask, they're not social distancing. But my hope is that we would be compelled by God's love, compelled by the gospel. And when something bothers you or you're not comfortable, that we would kindly speak up and express how you feel and how we could correct this in the spirit of Christ-likeness. And so what's happening, I, think, I feel we ha we're having blowouts, <laughs> relational blowouts all over the place. And we just need to be aware of what Satan is doing. And I believe the passage here today is timely for all of us. And so what we're experiencing is no different. Um, I believe in Jesus' time, he had people that didn't like him. He had opponents. He had enemy, Paul, the same as he traveled and ministered the gospel. He had those who didn't like the gospel going forth, and so he had his enemies. Jesus said some of the worst enemies would be in the household in Christ's church. And, you know, thinking back of just my own life and ministry, I'd probably say the most difficult, most challenging times have always been inside the church, not so much outside the church. There are also situations when Unfortunately, believers lack um, kindness and love, <clears throat> not for their faithfulness for the gospel, but how they relate to other people. And so instead of experiencing offense because of the gospel, because of the cross, they are basically offensive Christians. And so they experience uh, conflict or enemies or people that they find themselves not getting along with <clears throat> in those situations. And then maybe the flip side there are also hypersensitive Christians that are just sensitive to everything. But even in those situations, God calls us to live for him and that grace would abound. And so because of sin and because we are prone to not always center ourselves on the gospel, because when we don't center our lives on the gospel, we're not thinking of Jesus Christ and yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, what happens? God's glory is not reflected in an accurate way. God's glory is distorted in our life. And that's why we have 
what I call <laughs> relational blowouts and conflict collisions. And so we see the brokenness displayed in our families, in our homes, in our marriages, in the church, in the city, and our country. But here's the hope. Listen carefully. God, our great God is with us. He created us. He saved us. He redeemed us. And he's in a, an amazing process to transform us and to restore us, to be rooted in the gospel and to reflect his glory. I like the, jo- I like the verse that John um, shared in his testimony, that God has began a good work. And we could count on him to be faithful, to complete it. And he's working that now in and through our lives during the church age. So God is at work. I want you to know that. And he, want to work, he, want, he wants to work in and through you. He wants to display Christ in our lives and as a church together, our church and all the churches around the world. He wants to see God glorified. There was a time, if you are a Christ follower today, there was a time we weren't. We were not a Christ follower before. And there's a time, the Bible says that we're actually an enemy. If you come with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 10, there was a time... We were an enemy with God. <clears throat> and I want you to see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. So I'll give you a moment to flick your app, turn your pages of your Bible, and simply see this. The key, the antidote, the answer for this world today and for the struggles we are experiencing across the board, I want you to know is the gospel. And I want you to see how God responded to us when we offended him, when we broke his law, when we defied his authority. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For if we were enemies, we were once enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, This is amazing. Every time we sin, we break God's law. Every time we sin, we defy God's character and authority. We show ourselves to be an enemy against the true and living God. I mean, I don't know how to show this to you, but um, I can either use my kids or even myself when I was a kid. There are times, you know, my dad was asked the very basic things, Gary, you know, make your bed. And I would be like, no, dad, Gary, mow the lawn. I don't feel like it. I want to play my video games longer. Um, he'd say, Gary, I washed the dishes. And then on my worst day, I would say, you do it, dad. Then that is us. Many times as we relate to our heavenly father, we don't obey him with our attitude, our action, any command in scripture that we don't obey, we we are literally declaring ourselves to be defiant and an enemy against God. And so I want you to see how God reacted when we defied him. How did God respond? Did he declare a protest? Did he begin looting? Did he name call? Did he insult? Did he ignore? Did he flee? Did he leave? Did he change the laws so if it's what he wanted. No, God put his full glory on display on sending God, the father put his full glory on display and sending his son. He 
He initiated a redemptive plan from the get-go after Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden. God initiated a redemptive plan to put his full glory on display to send his son to live the perfect life, to obey God's law perfectly, to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to pay for the penalty of sin, to bear the wrath of God for us, to die the death that we should have. This is what God did. He responded in love. God brought down love in the form of Jesus Christ. His response to our sin was pure and holy love through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what God has done for us. And he says, this is how the church is to respond today toward enemies. Those who may offend us, those who may hurt us, he calls us to do the same. And so here's the proposition this morning. The gospel isn't just a doorway into heaven. The gospel is a pathway to life. The gospel is the means of transformation. The gospel, if we are to grow, we are to center our lives on the gospel and together build a community based on the gospel to reflect the gospel. It takes effort. We don't say, hey, we're just attending a church and boom, we got instant community. No, we ha- it takes effort to build a gospel community. And so in Romans 12, I want you to know, this is this really detailed divine gospel blueprints and how to build an authentic, legitimate, spirit-filled, Christ-focused, word-centered community. And in this particular case, how the community to face evil and enemies. And I would say these, the evil we'll face will often be within the church and also outside the church. And so the five points, we're going to look at how we are to respond and to reflect um, <clears throat> God's grace are as followed. Five points. The five points are this. <laughs> reflect the God, when we have enemies, and, and this is how we are to respond. Um, the first point is reflect the gospel by responding with no evil. You don't retaliate with evil. Point number two is reflect the gospel by responding honorably before all. Point number three is reflect the gospel by responding peaceably with all. Point number four is reflect the gospel by responding with no revenge. Okay, so if you're taking tallies, you have a whole bunch now. Um, Point number five, reflect the gospel responding with practical grace. Okay, so as a local church, it is God's heart desire that we together would reflect the gospel together. I understand on this side of heaven, there are temptations and we're, we're prone to sin, but understand that Christ is in us, the Spirit of God is within us, and he has given us his word to form this community. And so we're going to see what this looks like. So we're at point number one, reflect the gospel by responding with no evil. This is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. So this, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I'm going through so, some of this and not a lot of this, but when someone hurts you or offends you or commits an evil against you, and as a result, how do you view them? You may have anger. You may be upset with them. You may be perturbed. And at the worst, 
in your heart of hearts, you've declared them to be an enemy in your heart. And the Bible says exactly how to respond. It actually commands us how we are to respond in, in view of the gospel. There was a time, as we looked at earlier, we were once an enemy with God, and God responded to us in kindness and love. And so he calls us to do the same thing. If you look here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Paul instructs the members of the church of Rome to follow Christ, not by taking physical or verbal action against their enemies, taking matters in their own hand. He says, pay no one evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. And so this is, I just want to make a quick, dis quick distinction. In the Old Testament, though, we're familiar with eye for eye or tooth for tooth. In Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 21, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. These, these laws pertain to excuse me, civil justice. Pretty much what Matthew was talking about last week as it relates to civil matters. Paul here is talking specifically about personal matters. So when you think of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we have a place where we have a government that God has ordained to handle civil matters, and they are to exercise the necessary punishment <coughs> um, when laws are broken and when the, our, our judge, our courts, our legal system are to handle things. But in this case, Paul is saying for these personal matters, for personal matters in the church, he, he prescribes, uh, prescribes a very specific way. And the first thing he says, we are not to take matters in our own hands. We're not to respond with our evil plan to hurt someone either verbally or physically. Okay? So th that is key. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was trained in some of the schools I'd be. If someone hurt you, we're going to hurt them back. If someone did something, you're going to trip them. You're going to kick them. I mean, in my junior high, people had these brass knuckles, and they were knuckles that were brass, and they wanted to smash my head with these brass knuckles if you would cross them in any kind of way. You get in the way, you look at them the wrong way, they would just want to use brass knuckles on my head. So I didn't know how to fight. My dad and mom never trained me in kung fu. So I mastered the art of running. When someone was up to that bad of me, I just run, 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 run to go away from the bad guys. So that's how I dealt with life as a kid. Um, and so the second point um, in responding to evil and responding to our enemies is this. Reflect the gospel, responding honorably before all people. Responding honorably for, before all people. So instead of taking matters in your own hand, verbally or physically, Apostle Paul says and explains, given Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you remember that verse that keys off this whole passage, in view of God's mercy, we are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, that which is acceptable. And what does that look like? We are to give thought. This is Romans 12, verse 17b. We are to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So when someone offends you or someone hurts you, and in your heart you start viewing them as your enemy, Paul specifically says what to do. He says, give thought. 
to do what is honorably in the sight of all. So Paul is saying we are to have a godly and spiritual attitude centered on God, how God will respond. He's saying, hey, don't lean on your own strength and power. Lean on God's grace and God's resurrection power working within you. The same power that raised him from the dead is also in you. And so in the same way God responded to us with grace and love when we were his enemies, God calls us to do the same, to respond to our enemies with grace and love. In this case, he's telling us to use our brain. He, he didn't say react emotionally, react flippantly. He says to give thought, to consider, to think, to ponder what Christ would do, to think about what the Bible says to do, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and don't be impulsive in response to your enemies. And so there's a training that needs to happen in our mind. As Christians, we need to assume that we will be attacked and that we will be offended. It's just a given. It's going to happen. So whether you, you're, you're, you can think in a military way or even in sports terms, you're going to assume your opponent is going to try to do something to provoke you or to get at you or to attack you. And so we need to know and have a game plan in our mind what we are going to do, how we are going to respond in those situations. So I appreciate the military, those in the Army, Air Force, Marines, every service. You know, God, I just thank you for serving in these ways. But in the same way, Christians, we are called to be soldiers for Christ. And we need to train ourselves. We're in a spiritual battle. We need to train our mind and how to respond. And so we, and so we need to, one, anticipate the, the Satan's attack and how to respond. And the key that Satan is, and God is calling us, excuse me, the key here, Paul is instructing us how to respond is to think in such a way that you're going to give honor to those around you. You're not going to give them condemnation. You're not going to hurt them. You're going to seek to bless them and honor them. And so this is where the Christian life matters. We have content in our head. We know things about Jesus, his gospel. The key is, is it internalized in your mind and heart that it will be reflected in your conduct when the heat is on and the pressure is on. Many of us have been indoctrinated with truth. But the key is, when the heat is on and we respond, what does our behavior look like? I want you to know, church, our doctrine matters. And the Bible says that we are to dress ourselves in doctrine. Some people tell me, you know, here, what does doctrine matter? It matters a lot. In Titus chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, In everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We are to wear the doctrine of Jesus Christ. If you know a lot, you have so much accountability and so much truth in your head, you, you are called to live out this doctrine, to dress yourself in Christ. So I remember, as you, you think about every anytime you're crossed or offended, and you don't get your way, and evil is done to you, how do you respond? How do you respond <clears throat> in the different situations? How do, you, how do you seek to honor those who are not like you, those who have different education, different background, different culture, different economic background? How do you respond 
and honor those who have diverse political views than you, different mask usage than you? How do you respond when people hurt you physically or verbally? How do you respond, parents, when your kids do something offensive to you? Do you respond thinking, how do I honor my kid? And kids, when you receive discipline, how do you respond to your parents? Do you think about how, honor, how I can honor them? <laughs> how do you give honor when, you're, when you don't get your way, when you're mocked, when you're criticized, when you're misunderstood? This is huge. Or maybe when you're at a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress is not providing the service that you hope for. Do you think about how to respond in such a way to honor them? Or you just feel like so insulted. This is cold food or has mold in it. Or it's just like, oh, what happened? I mean, these people are trying to do their best. Um, I'll never forget one day I asked the Lord, I wanted uh, a sanctifying process. I wanted to grow. And so I wanted a cultural experience. And I want you to hear this the right way. And I really pray that you hear this the right way and I say it the right way. So my hair was getting long. I just moved here. I didn't know where to go uh, to get my hair cut. Um, so I noticed there are a lot of barbershops in my neighborhood. And so I said, I randomly thought, oh, well, let's go for a cultural experience. And so I said in the heart of my heart, my heart of hearts before the Lord, I want, I want a gospel cross-cultural experience in cutting my hair. So I went to the barber around the block from me and I knew, I knew he was African-American, and he, and he, he prob probably um, was used to c c cutting black people's hair. And I thought, well, my hair is black. Close enough. Let's give it a try. And so I went in, and I said, this will be an adventure. Um, so we said hi. We greeted each other. And I had a seat, and <clears throat> the barber said, I've never cut the hair of a Chinese guy. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. I mean, you and I, we, we can experience cutting it. You cut my hair, and I'll try to do my best to, you know, be cut by your hair, by, by your skill. And so I, re I quickly realized that this man was nervous, and he, he, he brought out his blades and started cutting my hair in random ways. And I'm like, okay, this is going okay. But he started saying out loud, I think I was sleeping or not paying attention in barber school, uh, when he talked about cutting Asian people's hair. I'm like, oh, no. And so he goes, I just don't remember how to cut jet black hair and Asian people hair. I'm like, it's okay. Just keep doing your best. But it became very apparent to me that he didn't know what he was doing. And I, God was answering my prayer for this cross-cultural gospel experience. So as my hair was being attacked in different ways, I was getting a little bit upset to the point I said, can you cut this way and can you cut that way? To the point I actually grabbed the cutters out of his hand and I said, can I just do it myself a little bit? And so it was this awkward experience in my heart. But, and so in my heart, I'm like, it's been an hour and usually my haircut is done in like 20 or 25 minutes max. And so, I'm like, I'm a little bit upset, but I go, I'm a human being. I made in the image of God. This brother 
is a human being made in the image of God. And God's called him to do good works. And he's trying to do the best work for my hair. Is it that he doesn't have much experience? And I don't have much experience in this way, too. So we're just kind of in this awkward place. And we got to the place where my hair was almost done. My heart's a little bit upset because I felt like my hair was offended. Um, I wasn't viewing heaven as, a, as an enemy. I just thought my hair was offended. And so I thought, you know, I should get a free haircut. And so I prayed, I go, Lord, change my heart. And so after we're all done, I thanked him for the haircut. And I wanted to disrespect, so I said, go, Lord, help me. And so we, I paid him the amount that was required. And I thought, okay, how do I bless them? Um, so I thought, okay, let's tip them. Okay, and let's, let's double the tip. So everything about my heart wanted to be upset. But I, I struggled and wrestled with God. Lord, help me to learn this lesson that you want me to learn and respond in an honorable manner. So I doubled the tip. And with a smile, I prayed for him and invited him to church. And so it just went well. But I want you to know it was not easy. It was a sanctifying experience probably for me as well as for him. And so I just wanted to share that this, the struggle that we have to, to follow the Lord. And that's just a little situation. To be honest, it was little. It was just my hair. I mean, it's just like 10 or 20 bucks, whatever. But in life, we take some of the little things and we just blow it up. And we're just like, it's all war because you did fill in the blank. And so we just need to be mindful. How to be the most honorable in the situations that we find ourselves in church, in school, and in our home. And so we are called to reflect God's glory, but not repaying evil for evil, giving intense thought on how we are to respond to our enemies, but even just people that offend us, that upset us, cut us, as, cut us off when we drive, maybe accidentally trip you, run into you with a shopping cart, maybe step on the back of your shoe, Sometimes I got really upset when people step on the back of my shoe. In junior high, they would do that a lot to me on purpose. Step on the back of my shoe. My shoe goes slipping off and I fall on my face. Not cool. I wish I knew Kung Fu sometime, but I'm just kidding. Lastly, point number three, or thirdly, thirdly out of five. Reflect the gospel by responding peaceably with all. Um, God went through great lengths to provide us peace. At one time, we were enemies with God the Father. We broke his law, and God sent his son to be what? To go on a peacemaking mission to pair the wrath of God for us, to make peace with God and man if we would so put our faith and trust in him. And so in view of that, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I want you to know our relationships are a two-way street or two-way relationship, but we only control one of the ways. We can't, we can't control what other person may say or do or respond to us, but we can control our response and our side of the street. And so that's what we need to be concerned about, how we respond as far as it depends on you and I to live peaceably with all. And so, I, got, I gave you guys this peacemaking principle brochure. I'm just going to hit it briefly. It's really the best. I mean, I really feel like in the pandemic, we are not following the peacemaking rules as God would have us. And they're not just rules. They're, they're his commands. 
He wants us to, um, to be gospel-centered and be a gospel-centered community. And this is really a 200 book or even the 100 book page book, the smaller version, all summarized in a brochure. For those of us who like simple reading, Ken Sandy has done a great ministry that runs for businesses and schools and churches. And he's just done a great <coughs> um, service to the church to summarize how we are to respond in conflict or with conflict. And so I'm going to spend some time on this because I think we need a gospel peacemaking refresher, how to make peace. There's about 11 of us today that are going through membership meetings today. I'm so excited to relate to and engage with you. But one section we have in our membership of Rooted Church is the commitment to the peacemaking pledge. And it's basically what you see on the back page, it says the four G's of peacemaking, the four G's of peacemaking. And so the four G's that we are to think about in light of the gospel, in light of what God has done, is first, our desire is to glorify God, not glorify ourselves in our anger and when we're upset. We are to glorify God, to give honor and glory to God. And so we are to obey his commands, even when it's hard and difficult. Um, we are to get the log out of our own eye. I'm going to go faster than what you're seeing in the brochure. We have to deal with the sin in our own self first before we criticize others and start blaming others so quickly. And the heart that we are to have is to restore gently. I'm just going to read this one straight up. Instead of pretending that conflict doesn't exist, or talking about others behind their backs, we will overlook minor offenses, or we will talk personally and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook, seeking to restore them rather than condemning them. When a conflict with a Christian brother or sister cannot be resolved in private, we will ask others in the body of Christ to help settle, settle the matter biblically. And so our heart is to restore gently, not criticize, condemn. And the temptation along this is to gossip and slander behind their backs. And I want you to know the temptation is there to have conflict. And, and I want you to know, you may have conflict. It may not say may, you will have conflict with me at different times. And I may be the one that offended you. And you may need to apply this to me as much as I may need to apply this to you. It goes both ways. It's a two-way relational gospel street. And so the heart at the end when it goes down this path is to go and to be reconciled. And so um, why do we have conflict? Why do we have conflict? We'll go back to the inner page. In the inner page, at number one, top left, why do we have conflict? Where does conflict come from? The bottom line, it comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 to, 1 to 2. It explains where pretty much, I would say, 99% of our conflicts, if not more, come from here. It says, what causes quarrel and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. Is right there. You desire and you do not have. Fill in the blank. You have this demand in your heart and you do not have. 
And so you murder. It could be physical murder or you just, before, ang before murder is what? Anger. Or you're just angry at them. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So why do we have conflict? We have these unmet desires. We have idols in our heart that we want to worship and treasure and idolize greater than Christ. And that's where, excuse me, we have the source of where the conflict is. It really begins in your own heart. And so in this, in this, um, in this brochure, you have basically a game plan on how to respond. Um, basically in the bottom, you see kind of the half, half circle. They basically call it the slippery slope. And then the, the explanation is teased out to the side. So we're going to begin with the left side. These are escape responses, or they call it peace faking. These are not the biblical ways to respond, but often are ungodly, unspiritual ways that we deploy when we're not acting spiritual and our lives are not centered on the gospel. So just think about how do you respond when there's heat or there's evil in your life? Do you just say, hey, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to pretend there is no problem, but yet the elephant in the room says there's a problem. But you're just going to say, eh, I don't see it, or I'm just going to ignore it. And so that's one way to deal with it. These are escape responses. Some people, they don't want to deal with things, so they're going to take flight. Okay, they're going to run away. They're going to avoid that person. They're going to stop going to that small group. They're going to stop going to that church. They're going to avoid the person. They're going to leave the whole city. <laughs> Some people say, I don't like this country. If it goes this way, I'm going to leave the country. I kind of say, if you feel that way, go ahead. But seriously, that's, those are all escape responses. But seriously, the Lord has a better plan for us. And the, in the most vain situation, we escape things by what? Committing suicide. It's so bad, you just say, I'm just going to take my life and kill myself. So I don't have to deal with the problems that I have. So those are escape responses, unbiblical responses, flight responses. On the flip side, on the right-hand side, instead of escaping, some of us may respond in attacking or fighting. And these are peace-breaking responses. And so instead of resolving this, the conflict biblically, sometimes we'll say, hey, we're just going to assault people. Okay, we're going to intimidate them. We're going to use force. Um, I've received intimidation. I've seen mean emails and mean texts and experience. Some people don't want to attack in your face. So they say, what? I'm going to slander you. I'm going to gossip behind you and behind your back. Okay. <clears throat> um, then another way is we're going to attack you with litigation. We're going to sue you. Um, for legitimate things or illegitimate things. And that's a, a means of dealing with a problem that's not biblical. It's not biblical. It's not ever biblical to sue someone, but sometimes people just fabricate stuff. And I'm just going to sue you for fill in the blank. Um, and, and the most extreme situation is I'm going to attack you and I'm going to take my car and run you over, or I'm going to get a car or a gun and shoot you, or I'm going to poison your drink. I'm going to murder you to get you out of my life. And so both of these sides, the attack response and the flight responses, are not biblical responses. The key 
to a healthy Christian living, a biblical Christian living, the key to any conflict, no matter how bad or how extreme it is, always goes back to the gospel. And I want you to know that we had the most extreme conflict when we were enemies with God. That's very serious to be an enemy with God. I mean, I've, been, I've hated people. I've been upset with different people, small little things. But it's one thing to realize that you're an enemy with a true and living God. But God sent his son again. I'll say it over on a peace mission. And God sent his son to make peace between God and man. And that is all the reason that you'll ever need to seek and to desire peace, no matter how bad things get in your family or in your church, or you're on the borderline of getting a divorce or changing, leaving churches in the auspice of whatever, without ever trying any of these biblical methods. And so I want to remind you, these are the biblical ways to deal with conflict in a healthy God honoring Christ centered way. <laughs> and instead of fight or flight, exercise faith, exercise biblical faith in God and his word to resolve conflict. The first section that we're going to look at are resolving conflict with personal peacemaking strategies. The first one is to overlook. Okay. Simply overlook. It's, someone might've done something offensive, whatever that may be, give you a mean look, or maybe heard them say something that was inappropriate. You just say, Hey, I'm just going to overlook this. All right. You don't think the person intended to be wicked or evil. I'm just going to choose to overlook it. But this person does it again and it did again, and it gets worse and it gets bigger. And so you can't overlook it anymore. And you need to do what? Obey God's word and practice Matthew 19. You need to go to the person directly and, and privately and say, Hey, I felt offended by when this happened or fill in the blank. You do so as much grace and humility, and you talk to the person per personally, and the goal is restoration and forgiveness. If it doesn't happen, you try again. You praise them more, you try again, and if it's not going to be resolved, you get you go to step two of church discipline, and you get one other person involved. All right? It never says, go gossip about this person, put them on Facebook, and <clears throat> do all these other things. It literally says, go to them first, if it doesn't resolve, bring one other person or two other person, particularly people that already know about the situation. And then seek and make it your goal to reconcile. I want you to know some cultures are very adverse to this. Um, some cultures are not confrontive. And I want to say it's just not confrontive. I just think you're really not loving Jesus and others in a biblical way. We say it's a cultural thing just to say, make an excuse to not confront biblically. The truth is you, you're living this human culture. I, I want, and my hope and desire is that our church grows more and more to have a gospel culture where it becomes normal and we want to follow Christ and the spirit's desires within us to pursue reconciliation, pursue peace. And so that is what we are to do. And if it doesn't work out, there are times that it may go to the whole church and the leadership to, to work out sin. Many times in the body of Christ, when there's sin like this, it's like cancer to the body of Christ and that cancer needs to be dealt with. I mean, if you have cancer, how long do you want that cancer in you? Most of us want it out right away. 
Same for the body of Christ. When there's cancer and you know about it, we have an obligation and a God-glorifying responsibility to God and to each other to deal with the cancer within the body of Christ and to remove it in a God-honoring way. Number three in this section, you might need to exercise peacemaking practices by negotiation. <clears throat> and this is where you bring others involved and you negotiate and walk things through, lay things out so you can see it. Sometimes you may need assisted peacemaking principles to exercise faith. And this may include mediation, getting a third party, whether inside the church or past the elder deacon or maybe an outside person to work through mediation process. We've made it a commitment for Rooted Church on the front end to put it in our constitution. If we ever need help, and if a problem got a little big, we will seek help before it gets too big. And so we have a relationship with the Southern Baptist and Colonial Baptist Church to seek outside help if things got bad for mediation. And if we're not able to mediate it, we'll get an arbitrator. We'll share our cases and let the arbitrator to decide for us. And sometimes we need accountability to clear this out. So that's a long section. But I went long because we need to do everything we can possibly, as far as it depends on us, to be at peace with all. This is proactive and reactive teaching for you guys. And it's instructive that God would be glorified and that we would be healthy as individual members of the church and as a local church. Um, point number four, reflect the gospel by responding with no revenge. Um, and this is pretty clear. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Paul is incredibly compassionate in his equipping. He says, beloved. He's talking about his brothers and sisters. It's amazing how fast we declare enemies within the church simply based off political parties and mask wearing. These are our, these are, these are our brothers and sisters, first and foremost. We're, 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 we're causing war over a mask that's four inches by four inches of material or one's other's beliefs that are different than yours. My friends, we are each other's beloved. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul speaks with intense compassion here. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, but leave it or leave room, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God will take care of repaying. He will take care of the necessary judgment that needs to take place. You don't ever need to defend yourself. Christ is your defender. As Christ followers, our calling and responsibility is to act in faith and believe that God will do as he says. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> he is defender. And this is one area where our growth in our Christian faith is key. We'll see it more and more when we are able to trust the Lord. And I've tried to play this out in my own mind many times to try to prepare myself. You know, if I got in a car crash, or if when I take my car and try to run that person over, or my kids were riding their bicycle and someone came by and ran over my kid on their bicycle, would I go in my car and try to run them over too? I thought through this stuff over and over. Or if someone harmed my knife, would I go get all the knives in my car, in my house, and just start throwing them at the bad guy? Well, what would I do? Clearly, the Lord is clear on the leave room. 
for what the government to do what the government is to do and leave room for God to do what God promised he would do. Point number five, reflect the gospel by responding by practical grace. Romans chapter 20, I mean, 12 verses 12 and 20 and 21. So are we to re retaliate to our enemies? The answer is no. So we see in verse 20, Paul says this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So very practically, this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is also mentioned in the Old Testament, Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22. In Proverbs, the key of Proverbs is live skillfully. How to skillfully apply God's word to the situations of life. And so as much as God gives grace to his children, God gives grace, what? To his orphans or those who haven't become part of his family. The same is true for us. And those who are not part of God's family are enemies against God. And so God is basically saying, do the same thing. As God extends grace to people that don't know him, not a part of the family on a daily basis, theologically that's called common grace. We too, as believers, God's children, we are to extend common grace to those who hate us in the form of prayer, given the Sermon on the Mount, in the form of food, in the form of drink. This is what we are called to do by God. I know you might be hurt. I know this might not work. But God says to trust him at his word. I remember I was in a situation and I wanted to bless and give drink. And someone accused me, he said, you're going to bribe this guy with taking him out to lunch. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what to do. But the key here, you might be accused of that too. But do as God says, trust God to work out his principles and that God will work it out in his perfect time. It may not happen right away. It may take 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I just don't. No, but know that you can trust God. And as you do this, there's a funny phrase here. As you do this, you heap burning coal on, you heap burning coals open on their heads. And so this is a, this is a fascinating ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt custom. When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of the shame and guilt that person experienced. And so here the point is that when we love our enemies in this genuine, kind, Christ-like way, seeking to meet his need, we shame him for his hatred toward us when we seek to bless him. And so that's fascinating. Um, and that's the opportunity we have to be Christ to others. This is, this, this is not natural, this, but this is divine, Christ-centered, gospel-centered living. And so there's a warning at the end that we need to take heed of. Do not be overcome by evil. There's two applications here. First, we must not allow the evil being done to us by, over, by other people to overcome and even overwhelm us. When people do evil to us, we need to stay mindful. Don't let that evil overcome or overwhelm us. 
The second application, and more importantly, we must not allow ourselves to be overcome in our response to the evil that's being done to us. Sometimes we can be consumed, and we just go on our revenge tour. How do I get this person back? We need to be mindful of, the, of how we respond to evil. Sometimes we just go in the worst place where we use these escape causes and attack responses. Church, through the church, I want you to know that Christ loves you. He gave his son up for you. Church, I, I want you to know that I love you, and I'm trying to do my best for you. I'm not the perfect pastor, and I never will be, but I want you to point you to the perfect pastor, Jesus Christ, who can save you, can rescue you, can redeem you, and to make this community a community that he desires to make, a community that would what? Even love our enemies, and to love them well. And so I began with this illustration of playing bumper cars and how we just kind of collide into each other. This is not the calling that God has called us to. God has called us to follow his rules, his instructions in scripture. And we looked at a lot of good ones today. In the same way you drive your car on the streets, there are rules to follow. And things are great when we follow the rules. And the things are awesome. What? When we follow God's rules for his church. It's a thing of beauty and harmony and it, and his glory when we follow his rules. And so you can experience the worst conflict, 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 conflict collisions in your church, and you can see Christ, what? Redeem conflict, no matter how big it is, because what? Christ is greater than these conflicts. Let's pray, and let's sing. Father, we thank you so much for these few verses, but so much to say. Probably had more thoughts and illustrations, but Father, I trust you at this point to use your word, to make it run and go forth deep inside our heart and deep inside this community, your community, and also other communities of faith that, that love you. We need to know you as the peacemaker so that we would desire to seek and make peace with one another. In Christ's name we pray.